0: Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Carly Sharon.
1: And I'm your co-host, Ariel
2: Frame.
0: And today we're here with Hadi Pape. Thank you so much for being here, Hadi.
2: Well, thanks for having me.
0: So to get started, can you just tell us what program you're in and give us an overview of your research?
2: Sure. I'm in PhD program in astronomy, in physics and astronomy department. And at the moment, uh, I'm almost done with my degree because I defended in January so I'm just doing some revisions and hopefully by the end of this week I could be officially a doctor and yeah so that's where I am in terms of my program and for my research well I'm astronomer I work on galaxies let me I can give you a background about like what galaxies are and what I'm working on so probably you guys have heard about Big Bang, right? Yes, yeah. Okay. So around 13, 14 billion years ago, Big Bang happened, then universes started to expand, and then this universe, which most of it is vacuum, it's like empty space, right? And then you have these islands floating in that vacuum which are galaxies. So we have around 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe that we can see. So each of those 100 billion galaxies, in average, they are made of 100 billions of stars. So 100 billion of galaxies and 100 billions of stars in each galaxy. So it's a huge number, Mm -hmm. right? And then... Within each galaxy, we have all these stars, and those stars, most of them, they have planets. And if you look at where we are in the universe, we are on Earth, and then we are going around sun, and sun is a very ordinary star going around a Milky Way galaxy, which is is just one of those 100 billion galaxies, right? So the biggest question that astronomers and physicists and philosophers, I would say, or have been asking is that how did this ha- all of this happened right you start from big bang and then you come up with this beautiful structure of from very large scale of galaxies and actually galaxy clusters and then you come and then you have a stars and then you have planets and then on these planets some of these planets you may end up with life and some maybe with the intelligent life, and maybe one of us, and we are sitting here asking all these questions, right? So really, how all this process happened? My research is a small puzzle in this picture. So what I'm doing, I'm interested in galaxies, these big islands of hundreds of billions of stars, and I'm interested in knowing how old are they, when they have been formed, so that's basically the question for my research. And first of all, it's just really hard to define a galaxy because they are so diverse. The range of mass that they have could change by four orders of magnitude. Their size could change by order of two orders of magnitude. Actually, sometimes astronomers have some disagreement how to define a galaxy. So... And then we're gonna ask how old they are, and that's also a harder question. A hard question because these galaxies don't form in a snapshot, like boom, and then there you have a galaxy. This is a slow process. But for example, if I want to say how old are galaxies, I can't simply say, "Is it a young galaxy or is it an old galaxy?" in a very simplistic way. And what what do I mean by that? I mean where all, most of the stars have been formed very back in time or have been formed recently. Usually galaxies, I would say probably most of them, they start form their stars, probably very early in time, maybe 13 billion years ago, very soon after Big Bang, maybe few hundred million years after Big Bang, they start to form a star. So you, you may say, oh, yeah, that's how old the galaxies are, right? But the way that galaxies form, basically, I have to explain this: that how they really form stars, because that's what I'm, what I care about, because that's what determines the age of galaxy, right? Basically, if you think about where all these stars are coming from in galaxies, when Big Bang happened, Big Bang produced a lot of gas, hydrogen and helium. Basically, in your body we We have a lot of hydrogen molecules in our body, right all of those particles in our body, all those uh hydrogen molecule in the water molecule in hydrogen atom in the water molecule in your body they are produced at the big bang so if you think about it, you're just like the your the ashes remain from big bang literally mm-hmm. right so Big bang happened and you have all this gas like floating in the universe right and then somehow these big cloud of gas they start to collapse and because they have gravity right and they start to collapse in a smaller part and they become denser and denser and they form galaxies and then within those galaxies some smaller scale of the, a smaller in a smaller scales those clouds with the start to form stars slowly and slowly, right? So that's how stars are formed. And then around those stars, planets may start to form. But for me, the question is how fast those galaxies started to produce all those stars, right? So, for example, if you look at our galaxy, our galaxy has started forming stars around. 13, 14 billion years ago. But even still to this day, it's forming a star. Actually, our galaxy, Milky Way galaxy, is something that we call a star-forming galaxy because it's very actively forming a star. But there are some galaxies which they don't produce stars anymore because they ran out of their gas. So they have no reservoir of gas anymore to produce new stars. So in my research, what I do I look at all these galaxies not all uh, some of these galaxies which are usually nearby because the scale in astronomy is so crazy that you know for only very few nearby galaxies we can actually observe individual stars and again a reminder there are hundred billion stars in each galaxy in average right and for like very close distance we can actually observe these individual stars if you go further these galaxies are just like a blob of something some light you can't really pick individual stars in them so i look at these nearby galaxies when i can see oh yeah there's a star there there's a star there there's a star there and then i try to use those stars and determine how old are those stars and then i would say in average how old are the stars in that galaxy and that tells me about how old is the galaxy itself but How do I know how old are those stars? The trick is that actually we understand the stars very well. For example, a star which is very young, it's very blue. They are very hot. It's in astronomy is opposite because in, for example, if we want to show something hot here, we use red color and Mm -hmm. we use blue for cold, right? In astronomy is different because things that are very hot yes they are red but actually if you make them hotter if you increase the temperature they they turn to blue so for example our sun if our sun was cooler it would be more reddish but now it's white and if it was hotter it would turn more like bluish so you see this color is there's some information important information in the color but also how bright these stars are so two pieces of information that are very important for me. I look at the color of stars in, the, in those galaxies and then how bright they are. And then because we understand the physics of stars and how they evolve, I can predict that, OK, that star which is that bright and has this color, it's probably this age. And then the other star and then the other star. And then at the end of the day, I come up with the distribution of age of all those stars. And that's an indicator of age of the galaxy. So people have been doing this for a long time, uh, for a few decades, actually. But what I did in my PhD was that, you know, we had some research idea related to this, but actually you need software a mathematical software to really do that analysis right because when i'm talking about age of these stars i'm talking about thousands and tens of thousands mm-hmm. of stars or maybe hundreds of thousands of stars right so you need a program to be able to really do some pattern recognition some model fitting and all of that to be able to come up with this result and unfortunately in astronomy we did we don't have any uh, publicly available software who can do do this and the sad part of my story in my PhD was that I lost a lot of time in my PhD because that software wasn't available because we had research, uh, research questions but because that those software are not available we try to do other things without and answer those questions without using those softwares but nothing really worked and At some point, I was by the close to the end of my PhD and I had no results. And I was like, this is not good. Mm -hmm. This is not going well, right? And then I was at the point that I suggested to my supervisor that maybe we should build that tool from scratch ourselves. And fortunately, she gave me a thumbs up and we went ahead. So basically, the most important part of my phd to, was to build a python package who can do all these analysis and modeling and do all these statistical modeling and it became actually the core of my phd so i wrote a python package which if you take a picture of a galaxy and if you measure the color and the brightness of those stars in that galaxy and you give it to my code my code can tell you how old is the galaxy, can give you a distribution of age of stars in that galaxy. As I said, that's, so who, who, why should I care about this? As I said, this is a small puzzle in that bigger picture, right, we are all asking, okay, how the universe tend to be this way that we are observing it now, right? So my research is trying to answer this question that, okay, really when the galaxy, when galaxies are form formed and how so it's just a small piece of that puzzle for my PhD after building this software I'm hoping that because we are making it public that was my goal because I was like I lost so much time Mm -hmm. in my PhD for not having that software and my like passion for this code was to make it public so other would not suffer like I did.
0: <laughs>
1: exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, Quite generous of you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm also hoping to get a good amount of citation out of it. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't know how it works. I mean, I don't, can you sell code?
2: <laughs> so you can. Actually, in astronomy, it's not that normal. In astronomy, we have the good culture of open source. Oh, okay. Actually, a lot of things are open source. Because actually, you cannot make a lot of money out of astronomy, right? Mm. If I tell you know, no one gonna give me a million dollar. Because <laughs> if I tell them the galaxy is this much old, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's why people are not. Yeah, you can use this, and which is a good thing. I mm. would. Say. I wish this was the case for all the science, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but there are people who may produce some tools, and they may ask for some profit for it. Uh, but look, if people start using your tool and they cite your paper, there's also incentive in that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's something that you can just easily say, oh, yeah, I don't want that. So, <laughs> well, yeah.
1: Yeah, so you get like a kind of the prestige and the glory. I mean, we're, all, we're I feel like sometimes we're told that as academics that we uh, appreciate the prestige that comes with the publication yeah. as if... In of itself, like that's gonna pay the bill.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a sad but fair point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah. This,
1: this work you put in, it, it seems like it was well worth it. It seems mm-hmm. like it's gonna be really valuable for other people. So I'm sure lots of people are gonna be super thankful that you did it. Yeah. Because they're gonna be wanting to ask some of the questions that you're asking.
2: Yeah, well, that's my hope, right? We will see how the community would react to this code. I'm like, would they look at my code? I'm like, what language is this like (laughs) what 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 is this hopefully not that's not the case but we'll see we'll see
1: Uh, can i ask how uh you know you said you made this change in the middle Mm -hmm. and i I really like um the way you told your process there and you told it kind of how you went through it from the beginning of the thought and then to the end oh and then we had to change because because it really it makes it uh clear like mm-hmm. I know, I don't know how you feel about this, Carly, but like it's not uh, a straightforward path oh, on PhD. Uh, you know, yeah. There's failures in the middle, and Absolutely. it's we need to make that clear to people that we it's a bumpy road, yeah. right? So yeah. I'm glad to hear that you're like being you know forthright about that process, and that's yeah. that's how science is, right? So I'm really glad to hear about that, and I'm glad that you made 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 it through yeah. with something tangible <laughs> that you could share. You know, that that's. A lot of people don't even get to that, Mm -hmm. but what I want to ask is that switch there. It sounds like you now all of a sudden had to become a computer programmer. (laughs) Um, Did you have a computer broke background before? I mean, learning a new skill is like difficult, especially trying to build something that somebody else wants to use. So it really has to be like good, (laughs) right? So how did how did that go?
2: Yeah, so I actually never had a official education in coding. Actually, I never took a course in it. Uh, I learned it in a hard way. (laughs) <laughs> so for my master program I did my master in physics and I remember I at the time I I I did my background my undergrad in Iran in physics but in that program we didn't do much coding so I had no experience then I started my master program and then there the first week my supervisor was like yes go and code this problem for me I was like Oh my God. But I had to do it, right? So I remember, like, I would, my best friend Google, <laughs> that's how I learned coding. So I was like all the time on Google trying to s- just learn how to define a list or something like that. But I had to produce a result, right? So I learned it in a hard way. But I had this experience in my master programs that I did. I wouldn't call myself a coder because I was never really got an education in it I I had a problem I would write a code to solve that problem right maybe I wasn't well educated enough in it but I, I I think I would call I would like to call it a scientific coder because for example if you ask me to write an application I have almost zero background right but if you have if you have a statistical problem I can do a lot for you, for that problem right so I can do a lot of Computation, calculation with my with Python, right? But for example, designing a website, I have no idea. <laughs> so I I don't call myself co- a coder in that sense. But for scientific coding, yes, I got exposed to it for my master programs, and then for my PhD, uh, actually that was my goal. So my supervisor, actually the reason that I chose this program, Western, and my supervisor was that actually she had a had a lot of experience in statistics statistic and coding I really like statistic and coding by the end of my master program I like astronomy and I contacted her and I was like apparently we enjoy the same thing are you interested to work with each other and she was like yes and then how we started to work on this project uh, but just coding to solve your problem is still very different from writing a code that someone else want to use, right? And honestly, I wouldn't give a very good grade to the Python package that I have written in terms of how well written it is, mm-hmm. how like ha- have I followed all the good practices f- to write a package. Prob- absolutely <laughs> not. But I think it works. I think it works. And I hope people can be able to follow it and be able to use it. Uh, but that's something that you, I have been trying to learn tr- over a long time, right?
1: It doesn't have to be pretty to get it done,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. It does <laughs> the exactly. job, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: So you just learned this all yourself, basically yes. is what you're telling us. That yeah. is so impressive. And I, I might have missed it, but did you say, like, when, how far into your PhD were you when you realized you had no way to analyze your data? Like, when did you have to really that, grind and, and get this program made?
2: That's the best part. I was in my fourth year (laughs) so you can imagine that how stressed i was yes and i was like oh god i'm in fourth year i i literally had zero results you know i tried different statistical method to try to answer the question that we were asking but nothing worked Mm. i kind of blame myself but you know it it is what it is it's research right Mm -hmm. uh but i realized that oh god i'm like this is not going anywhere i'm not going to finish this program So I was really frustrated, actually, at the time. Uh, And I told my supervisor that I don't think this is going to work. So maybe we should really start to build that tool from scratch and see how it goes. And then so I asked her for two weeks to see what can I do. And after two weeks, I had like the skeleton of the code. And we thought that, yeah, it, it may work, actually. So I start to invest more and more, and after like two, three months, we were like, no, this is working. This is working. But it still needed more time. So I spent, so actually my PhD, I finished it in five years. So basically, I spent a year and a half after I had this idea. And in my thesis, I'm not reporting anything from the first three and a half time for a period of my PhD. So everything was for the last year and a half.
1: You know what? I don't think that's that uncommon honestly yeah. i i have heard in the past that a lot of people it depends it might depend a lot on the field yeah. but a lot of people end up in their phd generating most of their data in the last year yeah yeah
2: so yeah it's stressful right because <laughs> i'm like what if that doesn't happen <laughs> yeah. you take another year <laughs> yeah which i did yeah <laughs>
0: I mean,
1: <laughs> it can go longer than that. I won't tell right. you how long I'd be. <laughs> right, right. Um, so yeah, I think having finished in five years, I would yeah. not worry about it too. Maybe I think sometimes it, maybe it's the funding issue. It's like, well, how how right. am I going to stay here in terms of funding right. and and all that kind of external? Like if you were if 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 they said to you, you know, uh, don't worry about anything else. Take your time. You got another two years. Yeah. Like then you wouldn't worry about it. So I don't know. Yeah. I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't sweat. Uh, taking five years that's like that's not so bad that's actually the average for my program
2: yeah true I should say actually there was another project that we did because now that we have this, (laughs) yeah yeah so now that we have this tool to really do this measurement to measure this star actually we call it a star formation history so when I say age of the galaxy that's not how we say it in astronomy we say measuring star formation history of a galaxy but the idea actually the, the idea that we had and the project we, I was trying to solve with other things without having this tool was to be very interesting, interested to know how background contamination would affect this measurement. Because actually what happens is that when you take a picture of a galaxy, there are a ton of galaxies in the background photobombing this galaxy. Mm-hmm. The problem is that some of those are so small, so, so far away and small, that you don't know if that's a galaxy in the background or it's actually a star in this foreground galaxy, right? So, and that's where I get my information. So the question, that, so initial question that you were asking was like, how bad is this effect? How, how, how our science is affected by this background contamination? So now that I built the tool that I can do all these measurements, We run some simulation, and we measured the effect of this background galaxy, and we had some analysis and say, okay, this is the best way to remove it, and how important it is. And we, for example, we found that for future telescope that we are going to build, so you have heard about Hubble Space Telescope, Mm -hmm. right? So actually, we are sending another telescope, which is exactly like Hubble, but the field of view of that telescope is 100 times larger than Hubble. It's mind-blowing, I can't wait for that telescope. It's just, it's much easier to take a picture, a large picture of these background ga- these galaxies, and actually, we, our results show that it's a very important issue for those telescopes, because they are, they are able to take a picture of, like, a skirt of the galaxy, mm-hmm. and that's where these background galaxies would actually outnumber the stars in the galaxy. So your contamination is more than your data. Oh, no. And so our analysis was telling us that, yeah, actually, you have to be very careful when you're doing that observation, and you have to consider it and all of that. How
0: are you able to tell what an individual galaxy is? Like, no, like everything I'm looking at here is one galaxy, not just a bunch of small galaxies.
2: Well, actually, that's really hard, actually. (laughs) and So there are a lot of galaxies that you look at them, and you don't know. Like... Is this really a galaxy? Is this a galaxy who has swallowed another galaxy? And then, but, but you have to think about this way. You take a picture, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a two-dimensional data, right? Yes, yeah. And then, so you have all these like stars and these structure, right? But actually, a lot of them are, a lot of things that you see in this picture are not the galaxy that you took a picture of. A lot of those, for example, are stars in our galaxy in the way okay. to that galaxy. And then on top of that, these background galaxies who are photobombing this galaxy. Mm. So your data is usually garbage. <laughs> right? And if you cannot just take it for granted and use it, right? So you mm. have to do a lot of analysis and people what am I looking at actually? Mm. So it's it's a tough job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
1: Well, okay. So yeah. I mean the, the in the end. Do you feel like you're getting, you know, you said you're a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. You think we're getting closer to, like a, a strong understanding of like how the universe started and how 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 everything actually formed. Uh,
2: honestly, I think we are doing what we can, but at the end of the day, we just have our models, right? We have like these standard uh, models of cosmology or particle physics. We think they work. We are trying to make them better by doing more observation, building better telescope and all of that, and using my code. <laughs> you know, we, we try, uh, but are we close to the true answer? I don't know. But I think that's what we know and what we describe is the best that we can say by our current knowledge. How far away are we from the tr- truth beneath everything? I don't know. But we think th- this works for, yeah, because we have these models. For example, most of the scientists now believe that the universe is expanding. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not just expanding. It's accelerating and expanding. It has a positive acceleration. So wow. things are going further and further, faster and faster, right? And we kind of, it's a part of a standard model of cosmology but, you know, we have other observations that are putting question on them, right? So maybe in 10 years, we come to the conclusion that actually this model that we have wasn't actually correct, which is okay. <laughs> and that's what I love about science because the science is not about proving er- anything, er- something, it's actually about disproving things. So I think we are doing our best to disprove our beliefs here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess, I mean, considering the time scales you gave, which are like, you know, not fathomable for humans Mm -hmm. really I think we can say that we've disproven a lot uh, over the years you know we know the we know the universe isn't like a thousand years old you know know it's way way older you know so on the order like you said of 13 14 billion or something like that so like let's say that was like off by two then maybe it's like (laughs) <laughs> Six billion? It's yeah. still way right. bigger. Yeah. Right, so, right. So, so we've disproven, like, likely yeah. disproven yeah. a lot. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and
2: probably learned a lot, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's yes. amazing. Yeah. It's, so it's not few thousand. We
1: can't let you go before you tell us now what your plans are. I know maybe that's a tough question, yeah. but you're, you're, you know, you're two seconds away from being Dr. Hadi. Yes. So uh, what's Dr. Hadi going to do?
2: Well, uh, I'm leaving academia, which is very sad because I absolutely love research and I absolutely love teaching. Uh, Especially teaching, I love it. Uh, But I think it's the time to move on. Uh, So actually, I'm starting a job in finance. Oh, wow. Yes. So, And that's the plan for now. (laughs) Well, actually, I'm really excited for it because it's crazy. Because I see how these mathematical models have been used in finance and they're exactly the same mathematical models that i'm using for my research uh so it's it's just there's there's a lot of connection so it's very interesting it's i'm learning a lot actually just yeah
1: i never would have guessed but yeah. that that sounds it good it makes sense yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean congrats on like it sounds like you found a position yep. <laughs> yep. it's more than most people can say yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome yeah thank
2: you
0: um i have one more question before we yes. wrap up very important question is pluto a
2: planet Well, we thought that it's a planet. Well, the way that we defined planets, Pluto was part of the family. But we changed the definition, and I'm sorry to hear to say that, (laughs) but it's not a planet anymore by the definition that we have. And the reason for it is that, for example, one of the reasons is it's too small. Mm. And then the moon that has, it's almost the same size. Not almost, but uh, smaller, but... For a planet, you would expect the moon to be much smaller. So there are these definitions that we think we'd love to have when we define a planet, and Pluto is not part of that definition anymore. Or Pluto. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: I think that's all the time we have today. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, It's been really great to hear about your research. It's been fun.
2: Thank you. This was fun. So thanks for having me.
0: So this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Carly Sharon, and my co-host was Ariel Frame. We've been speaking with Hottie Poppy, and this episode was produced by Amelie Hutchinson. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcast@sogs.ca. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at GradCast Radio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western, 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes wherever you find your podcast. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.